Welcome to Extreme Genes, brought to you by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And welcome to America's Family History Show. It's Extreme Genes at ExtremeGenes.com. My name is Fisher. I am your radio root sleuth on the program where we shake your family tree and watch the nuts fall out. And we have, as usual, some incredible guests today. We have a woman on, a researcher from San Diego named Lucy Mimna Goodwin. And for the longest time, she didn't like her middle name till she got into her family history and discovered what her ancestors of that Mim the name actually accomplished. And it's a pretty cool story. So we look forward to having Lucy on the show coming up in just a little bit. Hey, if you haven't signed up for our weekly Genie newsletter yet, it is time to do so. Just go to our website, ExtremeGenes.com. Enter in the box there and we share with you, of course, a blog every week, links to great stories and past and present shows as well. So you can get caught up right now it's time to head out to Boston and David Allen Lambert, the chief genealogist of the New England Historic Genealogical Society and AmericanAncestors.org. How are you, David? Well, we're doing fine, except for slip sliding on the ice. Boston has finally hit winter and slippery. All right, let's get going. We got a lot of family histoire news this week. Where do you want to start? Well, this one goes back about 45,000 years ago, so it's old Mm. news, but good news. Yes. A new report from the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences has proven that we actually have more Neanderthal in our roots than we had previously thought. They thought that the DNA of the Homo sapiens had wiped it out. Nope, this new report says there's a lot of it still hanging around. So, Fish, if you ever meet people that can climb the heck out of trees, you now know why. (laughs) Yeah, they're saying we're just not losing our Neanderthal DNA from back then. Yeah, it's very true. I think it's funny because my uh, half-sister and I compared our results from, of course, 23andMe will give you that percentage, and she had more than me, and I said, well, you know, you were better climbing than I was. Mm -hmm. There you go. (laughs) Where we're going to go next is back to the Korean War, where 21-year-old Norm Van Sloan, back then he walked by an ash cannon, well, picked up a baby. This baby that was half Korean and half Caucasian was abandoned. Apparently, the homes that took in orphans did not take this blue-eyed, blonde-haired baby. Guess what? They've been reunited 60-odd years later. Wow. It's a great story on extreme genes. Yeah, th- this guy is in his 60s and now has met this man who rescued him in his 80s, and that whole crew took care of this baby. They had to get Richard Nixon, who was then vice president, to get a visa issued for this baby so they could bring him back to the United States and he'd be adopted. And that's how yeah. it worked out. So this baby was on this ship and taken care of for months. Exactly. So their port of immigration was the USS Point Cruise, and uh, the crew became surrogate dads to this little baby. Unbelievable. Great story. (laughs) Well, you know, identical twins, you think that their DNA is going to match up 100%? No, that's not the case. In fact, in all cases, in the story you'll find on extreme genes, it talks about how there are actual differences on identical twins. Case by case, they may be a little bit different on different testing companies, but you will still find a difference. There's no mirror image. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, they're they're off just a little bit on each of the tests, and they did like five of them each. Well, it just goes to show that you get a little bit different from mom and dad. Yep, that's right. Well, I'll tell you, I got a great PDF file. You know, you used to say you get a letter in the mail. Now it's a PDF file from the archives in Ontario. My grandfather was previously married, and I know that he had to get a divorce. And, well, this divorce file had a big surprise. 
a photograph of him in 1919 when he was 18 that he sent as proof that it was him when he was filing for his divorce when he was here in Massachusetts. <laughs> now, wait a minute. This was in the 50s? Correct. So this is a picture of him. It looks like he could have joined Capone's gang. He has a long overcoat, a fedora, and he's 18 years old, 1919, written on the back <laughs> of the picture. And this was in his divorce files. Wow. They got married when they went to Niagara Falls on a whim. <laughs> I love that. Great story. All right. Great find, David. You know, over the weekend, I decided that I was going to see a movie, and originally it was going to be Mary Poppins, but I held on that because there was a limited engagement, and I got the last ticket for They Shall Not Grow Old. We talked about this before in the show, yeah. the Peter Jackson movie. What he did is he was contacted by the British War Museum. They wanted to do something different for the centennial, so he went through thousands of hours of silent film footage from World War I and colorized it. Now, this is a better colorization than what Ted Turner did back in the 80s. Yeah. So you know when you watch old silent movies and they go really fast sure. or really slow? He's fixed all the timing on it, but he added in the voices of hundreds of former World War I veterans that had been interviewed on BBC back in the 1960s and 70s. So they narrate the story. It's seamless. He's added the sounds of cannons. It's great because they read the lips of some of the veterans on the silent movies and filled in what they probably were saying. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that fun? So you could actually kind of get a taste of the conversations on the battlefield more than 100 years ago. So they shall not grow old. If it comes to a theater near you, it's a limited engagement. is well worth the wait. I never thought I'd go see a documentary in a theater, but I did, and I enjoyed it. Our blogger spotlight this week shines on Zoe. Zoe has an interesting blog where she talks about her own genealogical and DNA research, as well as her passion for old Hollywood. She is a 1930s film fan. So who knows? Maybe she's got some connection with seeing a movie your mom was in, Fish. Yeah, that's uh, true. That's possible in the 40s. Yeah, so zestyz.wordpress.com, and you'll find her stories that are entertaining. Hey, she might be a fun guest to have on the show eventually down the road. And, of course, down the road, if you're finding yourself in Beantown, stop in at the New England Historic Genealogical Society. We've been here for 174 years, and we'd love to have you come in the door. And if you can virtually visit us, you can go to American Ancestors, and you can join. Well, back to my ice skating on the streets of Boston. I just wanted to check in and give you the family history <laughs> news this week. All right. Thanks so much, David. We'll talk to you again next week. And coming up next, I'm going to talk to a San Diego woman named Lucy Mimna Goodwin. You know, this is not the first time I've heard of this, where somebody gets a, a middle name that they're not particularly fond of. They change it. Then they get into family history research and they decided, oh, I really wish I'd kept that name. Well, that's the story for my next guest. And I'm talking to Lucy Goodwin. She's in San Diego, California, and uh, she's found some interesting stuff digging into her family. And this is why we do these segments periodically called Ordinary People with Extraordinary Finds and how they found it. And uh, Lucy, you've been uh, into all kinds of stuff and it just keeps coming up on four wheels, doesn't it? That's right. It does. My great-grandfather was Charles Mimna, and his brother was William Mimna, and we always knew in our family that they were tinkers. They were actually stonemasons by profession, Yeah. but they also are credited with building the first gasoline-powered automobile in Canada. I had always known this, but it wasn't until actually about 2014 that I realized that this car was still in existence. Really? You mean they still make yes. them today, or are you talking about the old model ones? And what years 
the old map, there were only two cars. They were named the Shamrock, the Shamrock One, and the Shamrock Two. Wow. And the Shamrock One is still in existence. It's in a museum in Ontario, Canada. And I didn't know this until a few years ago. I was back in the Detroit area, which is my hometown, and I took the time and I went to the museum and I saw it. Getting back to the name Mimna, which I have never cared for, it was <laughs> difficult to pronounce, right. people couldn't sound it out, but it gave me a little clout because when I went to the museum, I said, my name is Lucy Mimna Goodwin, and my great-grandfather helped build this automobile, and I had photographs of my grandfather. Now, now wait a minute, you, you actually kind of fibbed a little there too, right, because you kept actually your maiden name instead of the middle name. That's right. That's right. I, um, but I don't blame you for playing it. Absolutely yeah. right. <laughs> well, and tradition was that when you married, you dropped your middle name. You assumed your maiden name as it became your middle name. Yeah. So Mimna was just... I don't even know if my children knew that was my middle name. <laughs> but it's come back to roost, and I've loved it because it's given me entree, I think, yes. into some of the history that I have been looking for. Sure. I have been back to the little town where my great-grandfather Charles lived and worked. There's a monument in the cemetery to the Ward family, and at the bottom it says Mimna Brothers because they were the stonemasons that carved this. Huh. So I went, that's my name. <laughs> well, now, when you went to the museum then and told them you were a Mimna, I mean, how was the reception? Were you suddenly royalty? Um, I'd like to think I was. Yes, actually I was, because I, I took a tour, uh, just the regular docent tour, and when they got to the car, which was fairly early in the sequence, I said, by the way, my great-grandfather and his brother are the Mimna brothers, which I pointed to the sign, and they said, oh, would you like to have your picture taken and whatnot? And I said, no, please go on with your tour. But at the end of the tour, I did have my picture taken, and I understand they did a story about the fact that Charles of Mimna's great-granddaughter had come back. But I have never seen the article. But yes, I think the name Mimna perks some interest. Wow. Now, and when did you get started in researching your family? I started about six years ago. And the reason I did was because I wanted to know about the stories. And that's when I discovered that this car was still in existence. And I always knew that my great-grandfather, being a stonemason, had gone to Chicago. Why was he in Chicago? Well, the Great Chicago Fire. They had to rebuild mm -hmm. it. They left in 1894, right after the World's Fair, so he may have worked in the World's Fair and then gone back to Ontario to be with his brother. So those were the stories that I wanted to, in the history that I wanted to tag to these dates that I had. Sure. That's amazing. And so they worked on these cars then in the 1890s, which, uh, now, where does that fit in in terms of the timeline of uh, mass manufacturing of automobiles and the development of them in the United States? Smack dab, actually. When I went back to Wardsville and talked to the historian was there, he gave me a newspaper article, an interview with William Mimna. And William had tried to develop the car. He had a lot of mechanical problems with it. They couldn't get the engine right. So by 1904, he could not get an engine that would work. And by that time, Henry Ford was going into production. Making so, his black cars. 
Yes, and according to one of the newspaper articles that I found, William was not happy that he had been usurped by Henry Ford. <laughs> right, it was Let's kind of a race, wasn't it? Yeah. It was. In fact, there's one photograph I have of William Mimnitz, and the title is Rival of Henry Ford. So they did talk about it, but it was in 1904. That seems to be the critical date. Mm -hmm. The first shamrock was constructed or put together. They built it from parts and kits and things like that. was uh, accredited with um, 1893. Oh, wow. And, and it ran. It worked. And it ran. It ran. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't go up and down hills. That was part of the problem. <laughs> it's like the Flintstones car, uh, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then they got an engine from France, which also did not go up and down hills. And they actually seemed to have been a lawsuit with this company in France. By the time the lawsuit was filed, I think Charles had probably passed away. Henry was in full production with his cars in Canada. And as William said in his newspaper article, he said he just had lost interest. That was Really? Because yeah. Ford had pretty much taken over at that point, and they were way ahead of them. Yes, yes, that's exactly that. And he, he, he was an older man at that point. Sure, and, and it probably had just kind of lost some of the fire in the belly for the competition it would take, because obviously that was going to be a huge market for those pioneers. But he was a pioneer. He was. He was a pioneer, and I'm proud of that. Sure, <laughs> I'm, I'm of happy course. for that fact. Yes, yes. And well, I'm, it's I fascinating. It makes your family yes. interesting. And, you know, that's the joy of it. And th there is a difference between just genealogy and family history. Obviously, family history encompasses genealogy and tracking your tree and documenting every link. But it's the stories and the photographs and the audio recordings and the newspaper articles and all those things that really, uh, I think, really make it rich. And I I'm right with you. That's what yes. I really love the most, you know? Yes, yes. Just the creativity of these people, the curiosity of these people. One thing that I thought was very interesting is that Detroit and Niagara Falls are about four hours apart, and people would travel through this through Wardsville, where my relatives lived, and I'm sure they were exposed to ideas and what was going on in the major cities, because even though Wardsville was a prosperous town, it wasn't a major city. Right. Um, so all those details I have to bring to my family. Well, yes. and I hope yes. you write a great history that is available to them for generations. That's fantastic. It is. And I have tried to document it because I think it's important for people to know where they come from. Yeah, yes. no, no question. And, you know, you ought yeah. to take a look on eBay, put in some search terms there. You, you might find an advertisement or something related to the Shamrock or even uh, go to YouTube. Maybe there's an old interview with somebody who talks about it. You never know. Exactly. Well, and there was some discussion about the fact that one of the cars ended up in Boston and then some of the other sources that I've said said the car did never ended up in Boston. It was destroyed. So I'm not sure what's in Boston, yeah. <laughs> to tell you the truth. Probably not <laughs> much be, could, at this point, right? Could, yeah, could be, could be the shamrock, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So. She's Lucy Goodwin. She's in San Diego, California, a family history researcher who's uh, discovered her ancestors built cars right around the same time as Henry Ford. They lost the race, though. Otherwise, <laughs> you'd probably still be living in Detroit, Lucy, and, and a lot better lifestyle than you do now, right? That's right. It That's right. <laughs> that. Well, thanks so much for coming on and uh, really enjoyed the conversation and I wish you the best of luck. Great. 
Thank you so much, Scott. Have a great day. Thank you. And uh, coming up next, Tom Perry talks preservation, our preservation authority from TMCPlace.com. And uh, Tom, we got a, a brand new announcement from Sony, and I know that you're pretty excited about this. Oh, this is absolutely amazing. Sony has really come into it. They used to sometimes be kind of a follower when it got into digital photography, but they've really become a leader in a lot of ways. There's a new camera. They just released the information. It should be out. They're saying the end of February, and it's called the Sony Alpha A as an Alpha 6400. It's mirrorless digital camera body, and it is so amazing. This is really targeted at a lot of our listeners that do blogging where the iPhone just doesn't quite go or any kind of a smartphone or a, a tablet just not working for them. This is the cat's meow. It is awesome. Now, the cat's meow. I have not heard that in a long time. But so you say it's better than an iPhone, better than a smartphone. What does it do? One neat thing about it is what they call an SLR, which is a single lens reflex type camera, which means you can change the lenses on it. So you can have a wide angle lens. You can have what they call a macro lens. If you're taking pictures of like little thumbnails of um, photos, like in the old days, they had photos with size of postage stamps. And you can get real good pictures with that. If you have Canon lenses or Nikon lenses, you can buy an adapter. If you've got the Sony lenses, they'll go right on. So it makes it very, very versatile. And one of the neatest things about this camera is why it's so cool for bloggers is it has a big, about a three-inch monitor on the back side of it, like a lot of digital cameras. Right. However, you flip switches, and it flips all the way around so you can see it as you're looking into the lens. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. So, I mean, this is perfect for bloggers. So you can see exactly what the camera is recording, the whole nine yards. Now, one thing I need to warn you about the camera, which we always push all the time, whenever you're blogging or whatever you're going to be doing, you want to always monitor the audio. And this has audio built into a full stereo audio. However, it does not have a place for a headphone jack. I guess they figured they just don't need too many jacks. So I saw that, that, oh, my goodness. But then it does have an HDMI out, so you can plug it like right into a big television to play it back. And they make adapters that you can get off of places like Amazon that plugs in the HDMI that carries all your audio signals, your video signals, and it will split it. So you can actually put your headphones into the splitter so you can still have earbuds in or full headphones if you want when you're blogging. I mean, you could actually set this on a wall and do skateboard tricks in front of it or biking <laughs> tricks or whatever. You know, I do my skateboarding every Saturday. It would be great to have a camera <laughs> that would be right there to capture that, Tom. That's uh, that's good stuff, though. I mean, it, you know, we've been doing this show for five and a half years, and every year there's something that comes along that seems to just capture everybody's imagination when it comes to family history. And if you're really serious about, you know, your blogging, photographs and your videos that this would be a great step up over the iphone it sounds like what's the price range we're looking at they have a list as a thousand dollars but i know bh photo which i tell people about all the time it's a great source to go they have it listed right now as a pre-order at 898 so the price is for sure going to come down so it's under 900 bucks if you've already got lenses it's great you can just get an adapter or if you don't have a lens you can either email us or find us on twitter and i'm more than happy to help you in any way i can but i mean this is absolutely incredible it's full 4k you can shoot almost in total darkness and the neat thing about it you can record jpegs you can record the raw files you can actually do stills but you can also shoot full-time video so like if you're blogging or whatever and if you have the right connections, you can actually use this and stream video as you're recording, which is absolutely amazing. We, I know we have a lot of listeners because I see them that are in Europe. You can record either NTSC, which is a USA format, or the PAL format. 
So if you can actually record it in PAL and then send in the file in PAL so grandma and grandpa don't have to figure out how to turn NTSC into PAL. You can do it natively. <laughs> That's amazing stuff. All right, Tom, you have been getting emails at asktom at tmcplace.com. And what do you got? Yes, we've had a lot of people email us with very similar questions, so I've kind of combined them into this. We have a lot of people have questions about digital preservation, photos that maybe they've just scanned or photos they took 10 years ago when digital photos were just first coming out. And there's a lot of people that tell you you ought to check them every year or two to make sure everything's good there. And I totally agree with that because if you've gotten cheap discs from the store, there can be problems with that. If you've got SD cards or maybe the cheaper cards or maybe even the USB cards that are really, really cheapo, that's a problem, which we'll get into in another episode. But so you always want to check these things and make sure they're still good. Don't just assume, oh, it's on an SD card. I know this is a good SD card. I don't have any kind of problem. There could be environmental problems. There could be, you know, all kinds of things that can attack your cards or your disks or even your computer files. Go back and check them. You don't have to look at every photo. Just kind of go through the thumbnails. And what I suggest a lot of people do, almost every computer has what they call a slideshow. You can take all your photos, even if you have 5,000 of them, and tell them to play the slideshow. And while you're cooking dinner or you're doing something else, just have it playing in the background and just watch it. Because if you have any digital artifacts and it's playing on your computer, or even on your big screen television from your computer, so you might say, oh, we've got a problem here. This picture doesn't look just right. Well, you can go back immediately and find it, and hopefully you've done what we've always told you since our very first episode, and you've got DVD backups of it, you've got CD backups of it, it's in the cloud. So if you find that in your favorite place you've got a problem, you need to immediately delete that and replace it with the good one. But just stay on the top of these so things like that don't happen. And a lot of times people are talking about documents. Maybe they did something in a program years and years ago, and they think, oh, that's fine, I've got it backed up every place. Well... If the software goes away and you've updated your computer, it may not be compatible with your same computer. So every once in a while, I would go back and check these things. And if you find you do have a problem, there's a lot of things you can do which are really simple to do, which is just changing the dot. Like whenever you have files, you have like .jpg, .pdf, .word, and you can go in and change them. You can go and make a copy of it and then change it to .pdf or something. And a, quite often, a PDF reader like Acrobat will go and open it. If not, there's all kinds of shareware out there where you can download programs that we call can openers that will open up just about any kind of file. But you want to do these and save these as you know permanent things like PDFs, JPEGs, TIFFs. All these kind of files are going to be around forever where maybe some of the old ones may not be. So these are industry standards, so you know they'll be with us forever. So make sure you've got stuff stored that way so you'll be able to have them whenever you need them. Wow, that's all great advice, Tom. And we could talk for a long time about all of this because losing that material, I mean, that would be the worst. You know, you spend your money and you go to the trouble of digitizing photos and then you preserve them on a cheap disc. Why would you want to do that and then have that thing fade away on you in no time before maybe even you had a chance to back them up? Exactly. That is so true. You don't want to lose stuff. It's like the old library burning down type thing. Yep, absolutely. All right, Tom, great talking to you. And of course, if you have a question for Tom, you can always send him an email at asktom at tmcplace.com, or you can communicate via Twitter at asktomp. Thanks so much, Tom. Talk to you next week. My pleasure. 
Hey, that's a wrap for this week. Thanks once again to our guest, Lucy Minma Goodwin, and her great story about her ancestors. It made her change her mind a little bit about the meaning of her middle name. If you missed any of the show, of course, catch the podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio. It's on ExtremeGenes.com. And next week, we're going to talk to the legal genealogist, Judy Russell, talking about some of those things you need to know about concerning copyright and terms of service when it comes to writing your family histories. Some of it might frighten you, but she'll be direct. You know that. Talk to you again next week. Thanks for joining us. And remember, as far as everyone knows, we're a nice, normal family. This has been Extreme Genes. Share your family story by going to FamilySearch.org.